navigate the journey to becoming a great lawyer with expert guidance on topics that range from trial skills to corner office management. Here you will learn how to tap into your potential for legal greatness. I'm Andrew Smiley, and this is The Mentor, ESQ. Today, I'm very excited to have my colleague and friend, Anthony Brown, uh, joining us on The Mentor ESQ. Welcome to the studio, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Very excited to have you. And I think our listeners are going to be very uh, excited to hear about you and about your areas of practice. So let's get going. And why don't you tell me about your practice area? Because I find it to be unique and interesting, and I can't wait to hear more about it. I would love to, but first I just want to say, I wish I had had a podcast like this when I was coming out of law school, because I think so many people don't have that kind of voice, that kind of education, that kind of wealth of experience to take from. So I'm really glad you're doing this, and I thank you for letting me be a part of oh, it. Oh, well, that's, that's what we're doing it for, so I'm glad you can be a part of it. Absolutely. So let me tell you a little bit about my practice. For the last 15 years, I've been the head of the Family and Estates Division of the law firm of Genesee and Riley Law. I recently have incorporated my own firm, which is Time for Families Law. And I do trust in estates and family law predominantly for the LGBTQ community. So when people ask me what I do, I basically say I help gay individuals and couples create families, and then once they're created, protect them. So I do a lot of anonymous sperm donation or known sperm donation agreements, gamete donation agreements, Memoranda of Understanding for Compassionate Surrogacies in New York, which we can talk about later on. I do a lot of second and step-parent adoptions, which I think is the most important work that I do because it creates the legal security of parentage for families. A lot of families, for instance, uh, a male family where they have an egg donor and a surrogate who are helping them have their family. So there's one biologically related father yeah. and a non-biologically related father to make sure that both parents have complete legal rights to the child. And a lesbian couple who has a known donor or an anonymous donor, the mother who's not giving birth needs to secure her parental rights. So that's really the, the, my favorite part of my practice is doing the adoption work. So ultimately, you're able to get couples that are, wouldn't have the traditional rights as uh, you know, a um, straight couple that gets married, gets pregnant, has a child. You're able to give them those same rights through the legal framework and the laws that exist. Yes. We have to jump through a few more hoops. <laughs> there are no accidental pregnancies in the LGBT community. <laughs> right. So some of the laws have not really caught up to our families and how to protect our families. So that's, that's the first chunk of what I do. And the second chunk is once your family is created to help protect it through estate planning or trust planning, creating guardianships for children making sure that if the worst happens, that family would be prepared for it. Anthony, we're going to talk a lot today about some more specifics of what you do. I'd like for now for you to go back in time and tell me about how you got into this field, how you became a lawyer, and what brought you to where you are today. Oh, it's a long journey. <laughs> I have to tell you, the, the law is my third career. I moved to New York in 1984. I was to be an actor. I was very fortunate to go to Juilliard for four years. And that opened a lot of doors for me. So I was a working actor for many years. But as many working actors know, you have to have some kind of a support job 
to take care of you. What type of uh, acting did you do? Would we have seen you in anything? Uh, possibly. I did a couple of soap operas. I was on Another World and All My Children. And uh, I did a Palmolive liquid commercial in Spanish, I'll have you know. Wow. And I did a lot of off-Broadway. And I did one Broadway show, but I did a lot of touring companies, mostly classical. So my support job was a, being a perfume pusher at Bloomingdale's, <laughs> which was an okay job for an actor, but it didn't really feed my soul. So I was on a national tour with John Hausman's acting company doing Romeo and Juliet across the country. It was wonderful. And at the Schubert Theater in New Haven, Connecticut, I found a massage table behind the Coke machine backstage. <laughs> so I asked the production manager, does this belong to anybody? He said, I think Katz left it here. I said, oh, can I buy it? He said, sure. So I bought it and I started working on the cast and the crew. And it just felt right. It felt like I was doing something good. So when that tour finished, I was lucky enough to get a long-running off-Broadway show called Jeffrey. And this was in the early 90s. And I thought, you know what? If I'm going to do this massage thing, I better do it right. I'll do the show at night and I'll go and I'll get my license. I went to the Swedish Institute and got my license during the day. So that show ab absolutely changed my life. It was the one moment in my life that I can say it it was the pivot point. The show was in the early 90s before protease inhibitors, which in the HIV community, protease inhibitors really changed the diagnosis of HIV AIDS from terminal to chronic. So it was still a terminal illness when I was doing this show. And my character was HIV positive and the lead, Jeffrey, fell in love with my character, but was def deathly afraid of, of the virus. So that was where the, the comedy kind of came from. And it was on, it was off Broadway while Angels on America was on Broadway. So there was this very interesting juxtaposition of people who would see one show and the other. They would see our show. And I got letters from so many people saying, I zero converted six months ago and I haven't laughed since until last night. And it, it meant the world to me to have this kind of impact. And I thought, you know, this is really, this is why I became an actor, to, to move people this way, to, to do this. So as I was doing my massage therapy training, I decided, you know what, I'm going to focus on working with terminal and chronic illness, mostly HIV, AIDS, and cancer. So my first HIV client was a gentleman named Tom Stoddard. Tom was an openly gay, openly HIV positive law school professor at NYU. But I think more people know him because he was one of the founding members of Lambda Legal. And Lambda Legal, which interestingly is right around the corner from the studio, they are one of the foremost national impact litigation organizations for the LGBTQ community. So I, while I'm working on Tom, if as you- As a massage therapist. As a massage therapist. Why are you giving him a with, massage? Yes, I, I worked with him the last seven years of his life. I never, ever would have thought that I'd be sitting with you here today talking about being an attorney for the last 15 years. But he planted a seed in me about how to make change, how to really make change in the world. So I decided, <laughs> I actually <laughs> rolled over one night in bed and I woke my husband up and I said, Gary, I think I'm going to go to law school. And I rolled back over and went to bed. He did not sleep for the rest of the <laughs> night. Remember, this was the third time I'd gone back to school. So I decided to go to law school. I picked a law school that had one of the other foremost leaders who started the LGBT project at ACLU, a lawyer named Nan Hunter. She was at Brooklyn Law School. 
So I decided to go to Brooklyn. I, my alma mater. Yeah. I finagled my way into her, her Civ Pro class, got an A, became her research assistant for her, my entire time there. And I got a chance to work with her. And then I ended up doing my internship at Lambda Legal, which was a very kind of full circle moment for me because, you know, Tom's influence and this is really where I saw myself working was in impact litigation. But the most important lesson I learned from working at Lambda Legal was that I didn't want to work at Lambda Legal. Why was that? It was, it was amazing work. And I got to work on one of the most important cases in the LGBTQ lexicon of, of Supreme Court cases. Which the was Lawrence, that? The Lawrence versus Texas case. But it was working behind a computer doing research all day. What was Lawrence versus Texas, just briefly? So yeah, Lawrence versus Texas overturned a 1980s Supreme Court decision called Bowers versus Hardwick. And Bowers versus Hardwick said, if you are straight, sodomy is legal. But if you are gay, sodomy is a crime. So in Texas, it was they had the same law. It was okay if you were straight. It was illegal and criminal if you were gay. So what that would, I mean, the, the effect of that was, if you were in a child custody matter and you were gay, they could take your children away from you because you were a criminal. They could fire you from your job because you were a criminal. All sorts of di discrimination. You couldn't get a license. And this was my first research task at Lambda Legal was to look into attendant discrimination through licensure in Texas. And I found out that you couldn't get a license to be a bingo operator. You couldn't get a license to drive a school bus. And ironically, you couldn't get a license to be a hairdresser if you were gay and you had a, a conviction of a crime of moral turpitude. So it would be hard to find a gay hairdresser in exactly, Texas at the time. Exactly. The <laughs> irony didn't escape Sandra Day O'Connor either because she actually quoted that fact in her concurring opinion in Lawrence, which made my day. So you got to work on this case. So I got you... to work on this case. But I, but I really learned, the real lesson that I learned at Lambda Legal is I wanted to be with people. I wanted to work with people. I wanted to have one-on-one -on -one to you know interpret their family situation and come up with you know, a way to help protect them specifically as opposed to globally. So what happened then after your run at Lambda Legal? So when I graduated, I thought to myself, oh my God, I, I'm older. I don't want to go through sort of the normal clerk for a year, do a, a junior associate position at a large firm. I wanted to have my life. I wanted to, you know, enjoy the things that I'd worked for and have a successful relationship and uh, all of the above. So I decided that I would create a business plan and I would pitch the business plan to smaller and medium-sized firms, monopolizing on the notoriety that I'd gained in the LGBTQ community for a couple of reasons. One, for my acting career, but I had also done a lot of activism in the marriage equality movement early on in the in 1999 to, and 2000. So from 1999 to 2005, I was an executive director of an organization called The Wedding Party. And we worked with media organizations to create positive and accurate images of gay and lesbian couples and families. And that culminated in the CNN documentary, Gary and Tony Have a Baby, which, which I can talk about if you want me to in a little bit. Absolutely. So I had this, I had a little bit of clout in the community. So I went to a couple of firms and it just wasn't the right fit. And then I found a small law firm that was based in Long Island. They had an office in New York 
And the matrimonial attorney at the firm, they did a number of things, dental malpractice, uh, estate planning, and matrimonial. The matrimonial attorney had been working with, I, by happenstance or maybe because the community realized he was a, a, a good person, a lot of people who either came out of the closet and then had to divorce their spouse or transitioned female to male or male to female, working with transgender clients who then went through the divorce process. And he saw it as an absolute opportunity to educate judges in Nassau and Suffolk County, judges who had never really seen or taken seriously these members of our community. Was he the only attorney? Was that the only firm that you saw doing this type of practice of law at the time? At the, in that area, yes. And, and consistently working with this clientele, with this group of, of clients. So I told him, I would like to work for your firm, and these are my terms. You provide me a support staff, you provide my malpractice insurance, you give me my office, and you be my mentor. When I need assistance and I have questions, you be there for me. And in exchange, you don't have to pay me. You don't have to give me insurance. You just have to be my mentor, be my office, be my support team, and I'll give you a third of what I bring in. And from year one, it was profitable for both of us. It was, it was wonderful, and it's only gotten better since then. And it was because I took that chance on myself, and he took that chance on me, that we were able to create, or I was able to create what, what I do today. So as you know, this podcast is called The Mentor, ESQ, meaning mentoring lawyers and, mm -hmm. and working with attorneys and helping them to become great lawyers and successful lawyers. So it sounds like you found your mentor at this time and that had an impact. Who was this person? Yeah, I think my first practical mentor was Lou Siracusano. He understood me. He appreciated me. He helped me, you know, work through things that I didn't know about. And remember, I'm coming from law school to a position. So I didn't have a lot of the training that, you know, that bridging the gap kind of experience that many attorneys had. So he really was my practical first mentor. I think my first unconscious mentor was Tom Stoddard, who, you know, who, who I just saw him living his life. But I also saw the impact he had on other people's lives. And that meant a lot to me. It sounds like you can have a mentor at different stages of the journey in the law and that you had Tom as a mentor to guide you into the field mm -hmm. and show why you would be such a great lawyer. He saw that in you and you talked it out with him mm -hmm. and, and realized this could really happen, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you got into practicing law with Lou, who was already starting to do this great work, he was then your mentor for yeah. the next level of your life. Yeah. But it's interesting because I see myself, I see, I see myself associating with and 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 having mentors along the way. For instance, I I've seen you practice with people. I've seen you talk to your clients. And I so much resonate with the way that you approach the law, because I think you do it in a very similar way that I do. So much of the work that I've done has been about education. And I see you walking your clients through this. You're not brash. You don't take for granted the fact that they're going to understand the legalese that you use. You really do explain things to them and you're kind to them. And you can be the most cutthroat attorney in court. But if you're kind to your clients, 
I think that's that to me has a big impact. And I see that in in you. I see that in Al Chinese, who's at the firm that I work with now. He's just good people trying to help other people. That's a great point you raise that a mentor doesn't need to be a, a senior junior relationship. You can have a mentor who's a colleague, who's a contemporary. And I absolutely agree with that. One of the things I enjoy about practicing law is the camaraderie mm-hmm. and being involved in all the different legal organizations I'm in and having the different opportunities to speak with other lawyers. You're always learning. You're, you're learning from their experiences when they come back from court and they tell you something that happened or they have a situation and how they handled it. And I find I'm always bouncing, bouncing things off of other lawyers to mm-hmm. get their idea. And that's a real nice sort of group we have as fellow attorneys in the field that we have each other it is. to lean on, right? It is. It's really good. And it's something that I think some people don't necessarily know that they can look to their colleagues for that type of inspiration. You mentioned earlier CNN. Tell us about that. Yeah. So at the uh, sort of the end of my work with the wedding party, one of our last projects was my husband and I personally went through the surrogacy process to have our own family. Our son is almost 10 and he's the most wonderful kid in the world, uh, as I'm sure every parent says. But we had a known egg donor and we had a surrogate mother both of whom we have continuing relationships with. And we were approached by CNN, a friend of ours who's a producer at CNN. They had done a series called Black in America, and they had done a series called Latino in America. And then they wanted to do a series called Gay in America. So they were going to do a four-hour series. Two hours was going to be based on my husband's and my journey through surrogacy. And the second two hours, they were going to highlight a Midwest LGBT center you know, so they could get different stories and different threads of sort of the fabric of the community. But unfortunately, they were not able to secure the funding to do the second part. So they just whittled the documentary down to a one-hour documentary called Gary and Tony Have a Baby. So it followed us from the very beginning of the process. For 18 months, they followed us which is a journey in and of itself. And at this time, we're talking over a decade ago. I mean, it's still something, surrogacy yeah. is pretty novel now. Yeah. So back then you were really pioneers. It, it was, I think it was something that people had never seen before, you know? And so it, it, it was wonderful though, to have that opportunity and to have that time capsule of the journey. It started when we were doing rallies for marriage equality. And when we met Holly, our egg donor, and then when we met Shannon, our surrogate, and then, you know, the fertility process through the pregnancy to Nick's birth. And then it ended with my adoption of Nick here in New York. And did Gary have to adopt Nick also, or is Gary no, the biological? Gary's, Gary's Nicholas's biological father. But because uh, this is, <laughs> we have so much to talk about, Andrew. <laughs> we got plenty of time. Oh my God, because family law is all state specific. So some states, like the, for instance, the state where Nick was born, didn't recognize our marriage. Where did New where York, was he Nick? was born in North Carolina because surrogacy is illegal in New York. So compensated surrogacy is illegal in New York. To this day. To this day. And it almost just passed, but we'll talk about that. I have some very deep feelings about that. But he was part of the adoption petition and part of the adoption process. So it ended with the big finalization hearing with a wonderful judge, Judge Glenn at Surrogates Court, 
was the judge who presided over the adoption. And that was here in New York, the adoption. And that was here in New York, yeah. The adoption takes place back in the in the resident of the resident state of the parents. So it was a it was a really wonderful opportunity to tell our story and kind of to put our money where our mouth was because we really we'd been advocating the way you change hearts and minds is by telling your story. You know, at first it was coming out, then it was standing up for marriage equality, then it was standing up for family equality. So now it, it, it was our opportunity to, you know, to tell our story and to hopefully make a difference somehow. Can that series still be found out online now if someone wanted to look for that? I, you know, it's interesting because it was produced and it was moderated by Soledad O'Brien and she had her own production company within CNN. She has since left CNN and she has the rights to that documentary, but she's wonderful. And she, if, if it were needed for any educational purposes, she would, I'm sure she would grant the so rights to it. So someone could contact me and we could get, right. we could get it for somebody. Yeah, okay. exactly. But if you Google, uh-huh. uh, go to YouTube and Google Gary and Tony have a baby, you can see some clips from it okay. if you want to. Now I had the benefit of, of watching it and it was just amazing. And one of the things that struck me was that your surrogate was from this really small southern town where you can't even imagine that gay people would be accepted. Is that fair to say? That is absolutely fair to say. And And her family as well. And her family too. But that's one of the wonderful things about our journey because we got, not only did we get to know them, they got to know us. And Shannon and her husband, Joe, are... I think more forward thinking than the rest uh, of some of the some of the people in that area. It's a very interesting relationship between intended parents and a surrogate because while that's your child there, it is her pregnancy and she has control over her pregnancy. So she only told of a certain group of people that she was having a child for a gay couple. Other people she told she was having a child for a couple who couldn't have that child on their own. But I think one of the most meaningful events that happened through that surrogacy was we, we went down and we met her family and her parents. And her grandmother was very much against this, you know, I think from ideological position. And her parents were wonderfully kind people, but a little bit tentative, I think. But then we brought my sister and my mom down with us. And it, it's, it clicked with them that not only is Shannon helping this gay couple have a baby, She's helping this woman have a, a, a nephew and this mother have a grandchild and just the implications and the power of that. And it made it so much more real for them. And eventually the grandmother came around and we went down and swam in her pool and she met Nicholas and everything was, uh, you know, it, it, it was a process. It was an education process, but that's what changes hearts and minds when people get a chance to talk to the participants particularly the surrogate mothers, because I think they're, people are ascribing incorrect either beliefs or conditions surrounding surrogacy to, to these women and assuming that they can't make these decisions on their own. And they're not making them on their own. They have independent legal representation through the process also. So it was really, a, it was a wonderful journey. And it also tracks with my legal career because once we did that documentary and Nicholas became a part of my life, I became the founding board chairman of an organization called Men Having Babies, which educates gay men and trans women about having children through surrogacy. And we work all around. We have conferences all over the world. Thousands and thousands of gay men and trans women have come to our conferences and gotten this information and had access to the surrogacy community. 
So it, it, it's interesting that the marriage equality stuff fed into the first part of my career. And then the surrogacy aspect sort of is, is feeding in the current part of my legal career. Do you have a website for that organization? For, yes, yes. The, that? Uh, uh, my personal website is timeforfamilies.com, where you can get information, broad-based information about family creation for both men and women. Men Having Babies website is menhavingbabies.org. And a lot of the work that we've done from the conferences all over the world, you can find on our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash men having babies. So you can see a lot of that, our work. And isn't it interesting where, how old are you right now? I'm 56, oh, yeah. almost 57. You look pretty good. For those of you just listening to this, you got to check us out on the YouTube video and see how good, it, how handsome Anthony hey. is. But for, you know, people of your age, and I'm, I'm, four, I'm 10 years younger, I'm 40, about 47 and our lives take these different courses, right? You know, first you're focusing on getting a law career out of law school, and then you get married, and a lot of things are relating around marriage and couples, and then you have children, and everything's relating around family and children. And it sounds like this journey that you took, your life journey, which is, which is really an amazing journey, and you're really a, a pioneer for what you've gone through in the gay community, obviously, your legal career has tracked that. So it sounds like it went from issues of gay marriage and then to issues of surrogacy. And you were your own test case, right? Mm -hmm. So you had to go through all these legal hoops through your life process. And now as a result of that, you've become the expert lawyer to help everybody else because you've gone through this whole journey, which is a really unique thing for a lawyer to go through the journey of his or her clients, right? Yeah, it absolutely is. And I have to tell you, I think it makes it a lot easier for some of my clients who are questioning you know, a strategy that I presented to them or my encouraging them to go ahead and do the adoption because I've done it myself. You know, I've had to put all of the legal protections in place for my family. I've had to go through this. So I think that gives me a little bit of credibility in my clients' eyes also to know that I'm familiar, you know, deeply familiar with the process that, that they're going through. Anthony, what is your definition of a successful attorney? A successful attorney is somebody who can communicate and educate their clients so that they can make an informed decision about the work that you're doing. I think so many times it fails to be a collaborative effort, and it has to be. For an attorney to be successful, you have to approach your strategy, your tactic, whatever your plan is going to be, you have to do it together. And if you can listen to your clients and if they can take your advice in a trusting and open and honest way, I think that makes you successful. I couldn't agree more. I think that's a fantastic definition. And I've so enjoyed having you here. We have a lot to talk about. I'd like to invite you to come back and do another podcast where maybe we can drill down into talk some law talk, you know, talk about the legal issues in the LGBT community that are important to you and that are going on right now, new laws, new, new things on the forefront. And if that sounds good, we can really get into that uh, in another episode. I would love to. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me and letting me uh, share my story with your listeners. Uh, I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. I look forward to talking more with you. And, uh, and I thank everybody for joining me and Anthony on this episode of The Mentor ESQ. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd extremely appreciate it if you'd give us a review, a rating, and if you'd share this podcast with your friends, colleagues, and classmates. 
I'm Andrew Smiley, and this is The Mentor, ESQ. 